0: This is Michael Cohen and you're listening to the Mayor
1: Culpa Podcast. So you're either a Catholic or you're a Jew. You're either a Catholic or you're with the Jews. That's how it is. That's the way the world is. So anyway, that's that. And when are Catholics going to start asserting their control? I want Catholics to run this country, not Jews. I want this country to be run by Catholics, not Jews. And I don't think that's controversial.
2: Last night, Trump issued his, like, 400th statement attempting to cover his orange ass, ever so
0: slightly trying to distance himself from this white supremacist, Nick Fuentes. Trump said that if Fuentes had expressed his views at the dinner, it wouldn't have been
2: accepted, and that if he'd known about them, the dinner wouldn't have happened in the first place, which, okay, that makes sense. What about Kanye? He expressed his anti-Semitic views well ahead of the dinner,
0: repeatedly. Did you not see that? As volcanoes erupt in Hawaii and winter storms bear down on parts of the South and Midwest, profound changes in the weather and the planet in general are no longer the exception. They are the rule, and that's a lot to deal with. Americans are tired, we're stressed out, and if the midterms are any indication, there's been a clear shift away from the MAGA shit show back to something more akin to sanity. In the grand scheme of things, most of us would rather fight climate change than the culture wars. Most of us would rather fight Nazis than have dinner with them. And most of us average Americans are simply done with the mess at mar a and moving on. In light of what you said, that there's no room in your party for anyone who harbors these anti-Semitic views, if Donald Trump wins the Republican nomination, would you support him? Look, let me just say again, there is simply no room in the Republican party for anti-semitism or white supremacy. That would apply to all of the leaders in the party who will be seeking offices. I'm pleased to report that it looks like Democrats have a renewed commitment to We the People. After narrowly losing the House in the midterms, Democrats have not wasted any time making Nancy Pelosi's dream for the future come true. Wednesday, the 82-year-old first and only female Speaker of the House passed the torch to 52-year-old Hakeem Jeffries of New York. Jeffries, who ran unopposed for minority leader, will make history as the first black lawmaker to lead a political party's caucus in either chamber. And it couldn't happen to a nicer, more worthy guy than Hakeem Jeffries.
2: We look forward. To finding opportunities to partner with the other side of the aisle and work with them whenever possible but we will also push back against extremism whenever necessary we love this country we love our democracy we love the congress and the house of representatives the institution designed to be the closest to the people and we're going to fight hard each and every day. We have this honor to serve in Congress to deliver. Democrats also elected the current assistant
0: speaker, Catherine Clark, a progressive from Massachusetts to be the house whip and Pete Aguilar of California as caucus chair. Our new dream team will be working together to guide the minority party beginning in January as the GOP regains control of the House. And with this transition, the average age of the top three House Democrats falls more than 30 years. I mean, talk about progress. These incoming Democratic leaders, one black, one female, and one Latino, accurately represent the diversity of who we are now. This is an America where everybody matters. We don't have time for an all-white flashback to the 1950s. Because like I said before, we're moving on.
1: It is truly humbling to um, be the next whip for the 118th Congress and to get to do it with such an incredible team. And as Hakim referenced, we We as a team and as a caucus reflect the diversity and the strength of the American
0: people. Clark and Aguilar are replacing longtime Democratic leaders Steny Hoyer, who happens to be 83, and Jim Clyburn, who's 82. Hoyer held the party's number two House role since 2003. Majority leader with Democrats controlled the chamber and whip when they didn't and Clyburn served as majority whip intermittently since 2007.
2: As you know, I was born and raised here in South Carolina.
0: I've been working all of my life, uh, starting out way back as a teenager, trying to make sure uh, that I do the kinds of things that need to be done to build a foundation upon young African Americans uh, can stand. And I see Hakeem Jeffers as someone Uh, ready uh, to stand upon uh, that foundation and to move uh, all of our efforts uh, to higher heights. Like Pelosi, both men have been highly effective leaders whose integrity and intelligence held the party together during the disastrous Trump years and have since been the backbone behind getting Biden's agenda done. Now, Hakeem Jeffries paid tribute to them, saying, and I quote, We stand on their collective broad shoulders, building upon the incredible work that they've done. It
1: really seems like a monkey paw scenario for Kevin McCarthy. It looks like he's gonna get the speakership he has always coveted, but he has to lead a majority that's going to basically be impossible to govern. One that's being pulled between hardline MAGA and the more moderate Republicans who flipped competitive seats. So how do you predict a McCarthy speakership playing out? Kevin McCarthy is what I call a SINO, speaker in name only. Marjorie Taylor Greene runs the Republican caucus. Matt Gates runs the Republican caucus, Andy Biggs, Paul Gosar, the entire Mutant Parade, Crazy Train, Lunatic Fringe,
0: they run the Republican caucus. In the midst of all of this, the House overwhelmingly passed legislation to help avert the looming rail strike that the White House has warned would totally cripple the United States economy if not dealt with immediately. The new legislation would adopt the tentative agreement reached in September between unions and freight operators and adds a measure that would provide seven days of additional sick leave for workers. But four of the 12 unions representing rail workers have since rejected the deal, setting the stage for an impending strike.
1: President Biden says he's grateful for the House decision and is asking the Senate to act urgently to avoid a shutdown. This morning, the House voted 290 to 137 to impose a previously tentative deal between the rail companies and employees. The deal would give employees better pay and better health benefits if an agreement is not reached or forced by Congress, workers could still go on strike. Now, according
0: to Nancy Pelosi, the House didn't want to wade into labor disputes in union business. But with December 9th deadline looming large, what choice did they actually have? It's estimated that a union strike right now would cost the United States economy about $2 billion. That's where the beef, folks, each day. And it would keep food off the table for God knows how many millions of Americans. I mean, gas prices would spike. There would be chaos at the ports. And of course, the Republicans would blame us. So fuck that. Both measures now head to the Senate for a vote and then onto President Biden's desk to be signed godspeed and good luck because the last thing we need right now is another supply chain fucking shutdown to mess up our economy's recovery yesterday evening
1: a jury in the district of columbia found five defendants associated with the oath keepers guilty of serious crimes two defendants were convicted of seditious conspiracy these convictions were the result of tireless work by justice department agents attorneys analysts and support staff beginning in January, 2021. Don't be fooled by his
0: famously sober demeanor. This is a huge deal. Now I saw a bumper sticker that said, and I quote, we want indictment, not excuses. And I couldn't agree more. But until we can put the beat down on Trump, we'll just have to satisfy ourselves with knowing that Elmer Rhodes, aka Stuart Rhodes, the founder of the right-wing militia group, the Oath Keepers, is going to prison for a very, very, very long time. He and fellow Oath Keeper Kelly Meggs were both found guilty of seditious conspiracy for their role in the January 6th Capitol attacks. Three other Oath Keepers avoided the sedition charge, but all five charged were found guilty of obstruction of an official proceeding. And I can tell you Trump allies are noticing this. They're wondering who else might get busted in what is this new special counsel probe by Jack Smith, the decorated prosecutor whom the AG also cited today.
1: In the uh, course of deciding on Mr. Smith, as special counsel I did meet with him, he has been meeting with the members of his team to, uh, to get up to speed. He promised uh, to the American people in his own statement that uh, there would be no pause or hiccup in his work. And uh, I understand that that is exactly uh, what's going on now.
0: This Rhodes verdict is monumental. It solidifies the fact that sedition was committed on January 6th while trying to prevent the peaceful transfer of power. And it offers the DOJ a roadmap to follow as they go after Trump and his fucking idiot allies, which can't come soon enough. Not only who the the real Benedict Arnold was that was on the podium encouraging everybody, I'm marching with you down to the Capitol building, but also the 147 Republicans, uh, a number of which have been returned. I think there's something like 109 are are back in the next session of congress these uh, that that was to me a seditious act i don't know if that's the legal term for it but at least when you try to stop the man who was legitimately elected president of the united states from taking his oath of office and taking his seat in the oval office that to me uh where where do we where do we have a say about that the verdict in the oathkeeper's case should scare the living shit out of like-minded nutjobs but is it enough to cut the head off the snake despite tuesday's verdict we should be realistic about the limitations of a trial like this The Oath Keepers have been put down, maybe, but other fringe groups like the QAnon Crazies and Lone Wolves, driven by whatever the latest fucking conspiracy theory is, keeps popping up like a game of extremism whack-a-mole. In short, as long as there are folks out there who still believe that the 2020 election was stolen, it's not over. And I blame the fucking GOP leadership for not disavowing their entire party of that notion. So, the Oath Keepers may be out, but the threat still remains. And let's not kid ourselves. It's been two years since Donald Trump lost the 2020 election. And although a stubbornly high number of
2: Republicans still don't believe he lost, they are at least coming around to the reality that he is no longer the president.
0: Who is running the government right now? President Trump. Well... Most of them are. Now on a lighter fare, if you were wondering what Jared and Ivanka have been up to since stepping away from Donald's trumped up presidential ploy, look no further than the World Cup in Qatar. USA! USA! That's a big game, man. Well, I spoke to the coach and the players, I said, you can do this. They went, ah, they're gonna. They did it. God love them. As if the games hadn't been played with enough problems, the Kushners brought their three children to celebrate Tuesday's United States victory over Iran. The optics are horrible, yes, but it's no surprise that Javanka showed up in Qatar, especially since Jared's Middle East peace plan is going so well. I mean, at least it is for him. Maybe not for the Middle East as a whole, but the royal couple profited royally from their time pretending to be peacekeepers. And at this point, you will not be surprised to learn of the many accusations that Qatar won their World Cup bid through bribery, with allegations including that three of the officials who agreed to vote for Qatar did so in exchange for a million dollars each. And I won't say that Qatar definitely got the World Cup through bribery, but I won't say that they didn't, and I will say that they did. We need to remember that the Middle East is relishing in its growing global strength and having the couple smiling like two fucking assholes for the cameras in Qatar, which just amplifies our weakness in responding
1: to the growing threat that they pose to the Western world. One of the reported concerns about his security clearance application uh, were these repeated allegations that he was mixing conversations about the needs of his family's real estate business with conversations he was having about U.S. government policy as a White House advisor. I mean, that's the kind of thing that can keep you from getting a security clearance, right? If you are giving business owners or donors or foreign governments the impression that if they financially help out your family business, that might give them an edge when it comes to getting what they want from the U.S. government. Like, that's not okay you can't get a clearance if that's the impression that you're you're giving people i mean and and then there's the darker version of of that possibility right not only could you be offering people uh, sort of inducements, right? I, I can get, I can hook you up with some U.S. government policy that you might like if you pay me. It, that that could also be construed as a threat. The converse is also true, right? You could also be creating the impression that basically you're extorting people for money. Right? You know, nice company, nice little country you've got there. Shame if something happened to it.
0: The duo's latest dalliance with the region's rich and powerful comes on the heels of the Senate Finance Committee raising questions about whether Qatar was secretly involved in the $1.2 billion bailout of Kushner's Fifth Avenue property, owned, of course, by the Kushner family known as 666 Fifth Avenue. And now, of course, it was. I mean, this bailout happened while Kushner served in Trump's White House, so it has to be above board, right? Well, I say fucking wrong. The House Ways and Means Committee may now be privy to six years of Donald's tax returns, but it's high time that we go after the goods on Jared, too. Hey, Kevin McCarthy, if you're fucking listening, Hunter Biden's laptop ain't shit compared to Jared's Middle Eastern billions. So go for the big fish, asshole. And just imagine how fucking satisfying it will be to watch the boy blunder twist on the line.
2: It was win or go home.
0: And now for the main event. Today we welcome back to our show Bakari Sellers, a CNN political commentator who made history as the youngest ever member of the South Carolina state legislature at just the age of 22. Sellers has been named one of the nation's most influential African Americans and became a New York Times best-selling author with his memoir, My Vanishing Country. Now more important, Bakari happens to be a friend of mine, and I consider him a good friend. Sellers is known for his sharp political and social analysis, informed by his firsthand experience both inside the Democratic Party and as a practicing lawyer and lobbyist. Sellers has tirelessly worked on progressive policies that address issues ranging from education and poverty to preventing domestic violence and childhood obesity. He is seen as one of the rising stars in politics and is a sought-after public speaker who has addressed hundreds of organizations, including the NAACP and the 2008 Democratic National Convention. You can also listen to him weekly on the excellent Bakari Sellers podcast. So let's go now to our conversation. Okay, so welcome back, my friend Bakari. I got to start off by asking you this. What's happening in Georgia politics right now? I mean, they've twice not elected maybe the most qualified candidate out there. And I'm referring to Stacey Abrams. And now they're embroiled in this, you know, ridiculous Herschel Walker, Reverend Warnock runoff. Why does Georgia always seem to be on the verge of becoming blue and then somehow revert back
2: to red? That's actually a really good question because of people who don't know Georgia... People who don't know Georgia probably would question similarly. Um, Georgia's not a blue state. In fact, I would probably argue that Georgia's not even yet a purple state. It's probably still a red state. You've had really exceptional Democratic candidates run against really poor um, Republican candidates in a climate that was interesting to say the least. I think Warnock will win Georgia. I think Warnock will win Georgia by probably three and a half points, which is a lot right now. But, um, you know, Stacey Abrams in this environment running where you have a president who's unpopular um, against an incumbent who is popular, it was just a it was a hard race from the fundamentals of it. Um, Warnock's race is different. He's run a different type of race. Um, he doesn't have some of those isms that Stacey Abrams has to deal with the uh, sexism, etc. But he's running a, a, a campaign that's more centrally focused on Georgia. He doesn't have the resentment of the celebrity that Stacey had, which is unfortunate and no doing of her own. Um, and he's also running against Herschel Walker. So, you know, I, I think that Georgia is doing what it can do. Georgia is not Virginia hell georgia's not even north carolina in terms of being purple um but i think warnock is still going to pull this out in the people of georgia georgia is is funny because people think of atlanta as being georgia and it ain't i mean you you got um you, you got atlanta you have columbus you have savannah you have richmond county which is augusta but that's about it everything else is those little small counties man that that's you saw Brian Kemp run up uh, the, the vote total there, um, and I expect Herschel Walker to do something similar. Oh, right. Okay,
0: I get it. There's obviously the star power that Herschel Walker came to the race with as a truly superb athlete football player. However, however, and I can't figure this out. I can't figure out why there's even a runoff why the numbers already didn't have Raphael Warnock right, uh, as the senator. Uh, it makes no sense to me. And I bring that up simply because, and I just want to throw some things in here. Nobody will argue that Herschel Walker was a phenomenal football player, but there's something fundamentally wrong with the guy who takes his home as Texas— Takes uh, deductions from his real estate taxes or wherever the taxes were for, and yet is running in Georgia. But what's amazing is even the wave of criticism on a whole bunch of fronts, right? In terms of these gaffes that everyone refers to as, you know, head scratching nonsense, right? Embarrassing as all, right? Flat out lying to the American people, which of course, You know, he has learned very well from Donald on how to do that. But let me just give you an example on some of the gaffes that are so fundamentally flawed that the notion he could still be even in this race, again, makes me scratch my head. So when he's claiming that the Inflation Reduction Act doesn't help Americans, do you remember the answer why? And he claims because a lot of money, it's going to trees. And I'm referring to trees. I don't know, maybe that's a slang term for something, but not from what I could figure out. And he followed up, we have enough trees. Then he goes on and he shows this laminated special deputy sheriff badge in order to talk about how right um, he's part of law enforcement. That he can actually do with that fake badge that you could buy in a five and dime store or if you make a hundred dollar donation to your local PBA that you can end up getting I mean claiming right that it affects women more than men this whole entire thing because they got to buy groceries I mean I'm not sure which one is more offensive which one is stupider and this is just recent gaffes that he made Every single day, he's out there lying to the people of Georgia, lying to America, and making these stupid statements. I can't figure out why this race is even happening.
2: I think, I mean, the the history of Georgia is what it is. I mean, you you can't underestimate the fact that you bring somebody into this race who has 100% name ID. You don't have to buy that. They have the credentials of being supported by not just your former boss, but also Mitch McConnell. Um, and so for those people who wanted to give him a chance. Um, but yeah, I mean, from his mental health breaks and psychotic breaks that he's had, putting a gun to his wife's head. Um, just the gas that you enumerated. Uh, you would hope that we're in America where he is fundamentally disqualified. I, I mean, I, I don't believe he can read well. Um, let alone go to the United States Senate. But here we are. And you have somebody who is running against a pastor um from Dr. King's church, literally. um, and this race is still close. I mean, it, it has more to do. I, I hear your point, and I know that many people make the same point, but this race has, and the closeness of it, has more to do with the true evolution of politics in Georgia. More so than anything else. And the fact that Georgia is moving in a direction where it can be purple one day, it just ain't there yet.
0: I, I get that. But at the end of the day, I understand that they want the Senate or they wanted the Senate to be Republican controlled. It's not. Uh, it's not going to happen. On top of that, they're now, oh, it'd be nice to have an additional Democrat. You know, in the Senate, however, more important than even the additional Democrat in the Senate, it's having somebody that's competent. You know, there was a guy by the name of um, Fred Wellman. I saw a quote, uh, a tweet that he put out and he was (laughs) he was making fun of Herschel Walker's uh, special deputy sheriff's badge. Right. By saying in the 70s that he had received from like TWA or um, one of the airlines He received the wings that, you know, the pilots have uh, when he was a kid. And I'm sure you remember that also the days that they didn't quadruple lock the doors, you know, and the kids were allowed to go in, say hi to the pilots and so on. That he, that that now makes him a pilot and that he's now competent to go fly an airplane. So I want people to think about the analogy because it's exactly true what's the difference if you have plastic wings given to you by the steward right um, or the stewardess and this fake Cobb County sheriffs um you know badge you know they're in Georgia it's the same thing you could basically wear it pull it out do whatever you want with it but it gives you no ability and he has no ability within which As far as I'm concerned, to make decisions on behalf of Georgia, especially as a senator.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. You're not going to get any pushback from me, and I don't think I disagree with that at all. I, I think that there is a huge resentment, particularly amongst Black people, by how ignorant he is. Um, But Raphael Warnock is running the perfect race as well, and so. And he's a Mm -hmm. really good candidate. He is. And he is a good good candidate. He's a really, really good candidate. And so we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. Because I think Raphael Warnock will be a name that a lot of people hear from in 2024 after he gets through December 6th.
0: Yeah, let's hope so. Now, speaking of Georgia, Lindsey Graham testified before the Fulton County Grand Jury the other day. Mm -hmm. um, And, you know, Fannie Willis' election fraud case. It seems to be going full speed ahead. What's your take on how the case is shaping up, and how do you predict that it'll ultimately turn out?
2: I think Fannie's going to indict Donald Trump, um, frankly speaking, and I think that she is putting everything in order to do so. She's a dynamic prosecutor. She's somebody who dots all her I's and crosses all of her T's. She's very, very, very aggressive. I mean, this may not mean much to some of your listeners, but... You know, she's indicted every rapper in Atlanta. It feels like almost. I mean, she has Young Thug and Young Gunner. She has. She she does not care about stature of potential defendants. She builds her cases methodically. And I am um, now. The other thing is, I know Lindsey Graham's legal defense team because we're all in the same legal profession here in South Carolina, and they're damn good. So I, I, he didn't go in there half stepping or half cop. Um I'm I'm interested to see what questions he actually answered, what he what he played the fifth, because Lindsay's unique problem was that Lindsay has criminal exposure as well, um, because of the, the pressure that he put on the Secretary of State. And I think that was one of the greater fears that Lindsay had. I don't think she's gonna do anything with Lindsay. I think that would be far overreaching. It would be something I don't advise, but I do think that she's going to indict the former president of the United States.
0: Then let me ask you this, because despite being disbarred, I still have my JD. They can't take my education. They can't take my mind. But I don't understand what's taking so long. It's not as if the evidence is going to change. From Monday to Friday, it's the same evidence that they were able to have obtained six months
2: ago and a year ago. And so, well, they, they, I mean, I, let me push back because they weren't able to obtain it all. I mean, I think that it's, it's hard to indict the president of the United States without Lindsey Graham's testimony. And there are a lot of people who are similarly situated in terms of uh, trying to squash. That's not the word. It's not squash. My law partner would fight me for that. Quash the penis. Which is the word? There are a lot of individuals who are are, are trying to stay this procedure. So, I, I would say that she's moving at appropriate speed. It ain't as fast as we want, but she is moving. And and they just literally just got Lindsey Graham's testimony, which I think is integral. I don't think you can indict Donald Trump without without making sure that you have all of your information there. And I, I she is somebody I don't you know the the. Like, I worry about Alvin Bragg. I think he's terrible. Fannie Willis ain't in the same category. She's actually a really, really good prosecutor.
0: Now, you know I've been very critical of Alvin Bragg. I mean, I spent more than 12 sessions with the district attorney's office, three of which I was still up in Otisville that they came up to see me. That's how they ended up with the tax returns. That's where that whole Supreme Court case came from. And I know the documents and I know the information and I know the case. Almost as well as the two lead attorneys that ended up leaving, Mark Pomerantz and Carrie Dunn, both of whom left, not because of what Trump was saying on his untruth social, which is that they realized that there's no case against him and that they're sorry about it and so that they walked off. That's a fucking lie. That's just a blatant fucking lie. They left because they wanted to indict him that they believe that there was enough information to indict him and Alvin Bragg chose not to. Now, the story is allegedly that he is contemplating on bringing an indictment against Trump based upon the campaign finance violations that I ended up pleading guilty to in federal court. Um, we'll see what happens there. You know, um, Hopefully that he does, it'd be nice to see him redeem himself in some way, but rest assured, whether he does or he doesn't, we have Tish James here, You know our fearless, unsinkable attorney general that is going to take the entire Trump organization apart financially based upon the fraud that they committed and that she has already referred to the Southern District of New York as well as to the IRS, tax evasion uh, claims as well as other um, illegal acts.
2: Yeah, no, I, I I don't have any, I'm like, I don't have any faith in Alvin Bragg. I know I saw that he was reopening the Stormy Daniels investigation, but look, he, he's not worth a whole lot. But Fannie Willis and Tish James, I think you named two individuals who were doing their job and doing their job well. And I know that people want this to move faster, but I prefer it to move appropriately than move fast. Because the last thing you want to do is catch Donald Trump and then he get out of a noose by, you know, some loophole. Um, and that 's just not what we want.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you, however, we are all getting somewhat affected by what you know I refer to as trump fatigue we 're still waiting for Merrick Garland to do the things that he was supposed to. You know one of the things that I constantly say on this program, on television, wherever is you don 't need to indict or try to convict and incarcerate Trump on every single one of his alleged crimes, right? All you need to do is get them on one. And I keep calling it the Al Capone theory. Stop with all of this other stuff. Like even the January 6th committee, I think we'll have a very difficult time in terms of indicting Trump or referring that case back to Merrick Garland for an indictment and so on. I say just go after the tax evasion. We already know That his tax returns are showing that he had a billion dollar loss, but yet he took 170 plus million dollars of tax benefit uh, refunds and so on. We know that he lied about his home and we know that they lied about compensation to folks like Weisselberg or Calamari or Liebman or Glick or any of the other folks there at the Trump organization that got benefits. We know what we know because, as the old expression is, numbers don't lie. People do. So, get him on fucking tax evasion. Al Capone theory. Let's just knock this thing down. You, every day, Captain Chaos creates another story. There's another you know specific case i mean it's like even what's going on with january 6 right now now they want to speak to the secret service agent you know that uh what's it tony Anato had claimed you know to um cassidy hutchinson that trump had grabbed him by the neck who gives a shit right that's not the that's not the keystone to the case we already know what trump did we have text messages just what are we doing? That's the problem. Everybody wants to get him on every single thing. I say, fuck it. I say, let's just stick with one, one easy, low-hanging fruit that we know that we already have all the documents you need for the conviction. That's my opinion.
2: You finally have good prosecutors now on the other side of Donald Trump. We've talked about Tis James, we talked about Fannie Willis. But the best prosecutor of them all is actually the new special counsel. Um, Donald Trump's going to be indicted and quickly um, for removing those confidential documents from the, uh, the, the the White House. I have no hesitation or doubt in my mind. Me too. And when I say quickly, I mean within 365 days. But
0: that's not quick. And I think that this- Bakari, that's not quick. Listen, let me be very clear about something here. All right, because, you know, I've been all over, whether it's Nicole Wallace or even Rev, you know, uh, politics. I've been on every show, and I say the same thing. 365 days is not quick. If it was you, it would be yesterday. If it was me, it would be two months ago. I had 48 hours in my case to make a decision. 365 days when you already have the documentation that proves the crime?
2: get it right though that's sort of what I'm saying Michael like, um, you got to get it right and I think that that these individuals and I, I he sooner I would greatly anticipate it's going to be far quicker than 365 days for the new special counsel I mean I, he's just that type of prosecutor who is damn good at his job and he prosecutes the worst of the worst in terms of war criminals Etc But get it right. I'd rather you get it right instead of getting it fast.
0: The point is you can't get it wrong here. And yes, I'm going to go with you and say Jack Smith is a fantastic prosecutor. But let's look at what we're talking about here. One and a half years before the raid, NARA, the National Archives, requested the return of documents. Trump said no. So they sent him another threatening letter to which they then returned a series of documents. He did return some documents, but then decided to keep others. He gets a lawyer. I forget what her name is to go ahead and to sign an affidavit that is, everything has already been
2: returned. Is it the bad lady? Yes. Is it yes bad? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um to that. Everything has been returned. And then of course there's an insider there. And again, I surmise it's probably Jared and Ivanka, but then again, it's just my opinion. And what ends up happening? They end up getting a magistrate to sign a warrant for the FBI to go and execute a search. And what do they find? Exactly the documents that they knew Trump had, that they wanted back, that he refused to give back. And acknowledges in his own words, they're mine. And I want everything that was taken from me back. And that he doesn't deny that he knew what was there. That would have been the smart move for him. But... No, he comes out and says they're mine. I declassified them. I could do whatever I want. And I declassified them. Do you remember this? Because I thought it. This is our stable yeah. genius. All right? If that was you who took an especially top secret documentation, like what they did to Reality Winner, she spent five years for one document. He has thousands of those documents. And I think that. Jack Smith can actually do this in an expedited fashion because it's not that many documents. Even if it's 10,000 documents, big shit, you could do that in under 30 days. I did 10 million in 45 days. I'm sure Jack Smith, and you don't need the, the Kim Jong-un crap. Just use the top secret documents. Use the other information that is classified And then hold him accountable for that. I mean, we have the evidence. I can't understand what it is that should take longer than 30 days, 60 days at most here.
2: I I just I know how cases work as you you do because you've been on the other end of it. And it just don't take 60 days. I mean, I don't want people to believe that it takes 60 days. I mean, it took them six months just to get uh, Lindsey Graham in front of a grand jury. You know, because
0: because he wasn't indicted and he wasn't right uh, because they were making the request to him in a very humanistic in a very honorable manner. They so, subpoenaed him now. They didn't just well, say
2: they didn't just say come. I mean, they did subpoena him.
0: Yes, because he refused um, to willingly come in.
2: Oh, he did refuse and he fought it all the way up. I mean, so it. I I think that you and I agree on the outcome and we want the same outcome. We disagree on timetable, which at the end of the day, I think when these indictments come, you will agree with me and I'll revisit the show that all the time it took was worth it because the case is that strong.
0: All right. Let's also make another another bet. Let's do a one dollar bet here. It's my famous bet, like uh, Mortimer, you know, from uh, Trading Places, my big dollar bet. By the way, you
2: should watch... uh... You should watch, uh, you, you said Mortimer, but you made me think of The Addams Family. You should watch Wednesday on Netflix. It's a really, really good show. I will watch Random it. Random side. Though.
0: So, Okay, so here's my dollar bet. I say within 60 days from today, and I'm just going to actually, I'm going to take an extra day here. So the month of, by the end of January, we see an indictment, or, or I'm going to give myself an extra little bonus here. We're going to see the referral from Smith to... Uh, Merrick Garland for an indictment on this case um, against Trump and Mar-a-Lago by the end nah. of January.
2: I disagree with that wholeheartedly. And the only reason I disagree with it is because of uh, Christmas, New Year's, King Day, and the holidays that lay in between. So I think... You, I think you, The guy was working I I on Thanksgiving.
0: Uh, the guy worked on Thanksgiving. Yeah, nah, I, I
2: just... Well, I think that it will happen, but I think, I think it's probably before June 1st. And there's
0: our, and there's our $1 bet, all right, by the end <laughs> of January, all right? And I always pay my bets. So look, let me ask you this then, because you have deep roots in Southern politics. Southerners used to be primarily Democrats, and now they're obviously Republicans. But look at states like Florida. How did the culture mm. war serve these really red states? I mean, is it a divide and conquer strategy that they're employing, right? Rich whites and, you know, and a few Cubans against everyone else? Because it seems antithetical, at least to me, to the, you know, to the creation of a prosperous state. You, I mean, you agree with that? So look, in your opinion, what's the end game here?
2: That's a good question. So there has been a lack of investment from Democrats in southern states for a very long period of time. Um, You see that where you have these epicenters of learning, um, for example, Chapel Hill and the research triangle in North Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, Even, you know, you you look at Charlottesville, Virginia, and you look at uh, northern Virginia, that's where you have states that are um, trending blue. Um, or purple. And by those states trending that direction, Virginia's a purple state. North Carolina is purple. Um, People forget that North Carolina's governor. um, North Carolina's attorney general are all Democrats. Um, And they should have won this senatorial race. Sherry Beasley won a great race. They lost about 100,000 votes because we didn't invest properly. And so when you look at those states, you see that there is an investment through state legislatures. There's an investment in these um, institutions and areas of higher education. So that's kind of first, Florida is totally different from the rest of the South. The panhandle of Florida is the South. It's like Southern Alabama, but the rest of Florida ain't nothing like the South. And Democrats have miscalculated Hispanic voters because we lumped them in as one group of voters. You spoke of um, Cuban voters. Well, we all know that there are multiple types of Cuban voters, depending on when you immigrated to this country, Mm -hmm. how you view politics, how you view your uh, load in, in this country. Um, you have Costa Rican voters, you have Puerto Rican voters, you have Dominican voters. You have all of these individual groups of Hispanic voters that we just simply have not targeted in a fashion um, that motivates them to come to the polls. And we saw Donald Trump begin that process and we saw Ron DeSantis take it to the finish line. I say all that to say that You know, Democrats have to do a better job of messaging for those Hispanic voters, particularly in Florida, in order for us to have a chance. Florida right now is like it's trending more towards Indiana. And what do I mean by that? Barack Obama won Indiana in 2008. A Democrat ain't going to win Indiana no time soon. And so it changed extremely quickly. And Florida looks to be changing extremely quickly. Andrew Gillen lost by 35,000 votes. Um, Charlie Chris, who was a terrible candidate, but lost by... 1.5 million or something crazy like that. And so we just have to reinvest our energy in the South. We have to reinvest our energy with Hispanic voters. And in places like Alabama, Mississippi, South Carolina, Georgia, Democrats can win if we actually run good candidates, i.e. Raphael Warnock.
0: Yeah. But let's just go back to what I had said previously. The fact that there's a runoff between what you and I both agree, and I think all of my listeners agree as well, that- Raphael Warnock is by far the superior candidate over no Herschel Walker. I mean, it's it, you couldn't have— uh, Herschel
2: Walker legitimately is the—he's legitimately the—I mean, outside of, like, Todd Akin and, and I forget the woman's name who ran in Delaware who says she's not a witch. Like, outside of those extreme cases, Herschel Walker is the worst candidate for the—the the worst candidate who has a legitimate shot of winning. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> of anybody that I've ever seen in my life.
0: Because yeah, the man can't read. And and the bullshit that comes out of his mouth is just smokingly stupid. You know, but look, let me ask you this question then. Cause I know that you're watching the implosion of Twitter pretty closely. And you know, a lot of people use that term implosion. I'm not so sure that it's imploding. I'm just believing that there's a whole lot of mismanagement that's going on there um as a result of whatever it is Elon Musk has decided to do and this bullshit approach to, you know, quote, unquote, uh, free speech. I get it. I get what he was thinking. I get the whole thing of free speech. Look, I was remanded back to prison unconstitutionally because I wanted to exercise my First Amendment and Trump and Bill Barr didn't want it. My real question to you here is, if twitter goes down in flames and a lot of people are actually of the opinion that it might where do the rest of us go right to be part of that public square to put out our message or the what I'll call you know truth cuz you're not going to get that on truth social that's for sure
2: instagram now first of all twitter structurally cannot collapse. I mean it it would be very, very difficult too. They have thousands of servers. They only need about a hundred people to do, you know, the work. And he's identified those few people who can do that work. I think Elon Musk is a terrible leader. Um I think that he um traffics in racism a lot. I think that he um lacks empathy. I don't think he follows or understands social cues. I think that he um, doesn't care for people. And that for me is, I, I can't rock with people who have a disdain for humanity. Um, I don't want to have to use Twitter, but it, it has become, as you know, for, for all of us an integral part of our platform and the way that we communicate. And if you don't interact in Twitter, people are like, well, why don't you just leave it? Well, we can't leave that vacuum without your voice and my voice there combating the crazies. Then it would just be crazies and they're polluting an entire generation of young people um, and impressionable minds. And so I I hear you. I think that he is running it in the ground. I think that he um, is going to lose a great bit of Tesla behind it. I mean, you, you think of all these people, Bank of America, all these individuals who took on debt or lent him money for 44 billion dollars? I mean, they're not going to sit here and allow you to lose, lose tens of million dollars a day because you have a bad attitude. I mean, so I I look forward to the plane crash. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, it's just, you know, you're just watching the crash happen. But um it's for me it's just so it's it's so frustrating because Jack did a wonderful job building something that I love and now Elon Musk is burning it down. You
0: know what's interesting is My hope is that it does not burn down because I agree with you. We need every forum that's out there in order to continue to provide facts, to provide no more of this innuendo bullshit. You want that, go to Trump's untruth social, you know, and you could sit and listen to the nonsense spewed by the 12 people that follow him. I like when people keep saying, you know, Donald is coming back. Donald's back on Twitter. Yeah, they reactivated his account, but he doesn't tweet anything out. And the reason that he cannot come back to Twitter so people understand why he is not actively out there using Twitter, because that means that his Truth social failed, which is just another Trump backed company, right, that has his name on it or that he's affiliated to that doesn't work. Right, And it's very much like his presidency. It would be a complete failure. But one of the things that I do admire, because I, I use all the social media platforms, is I'm on TikTok. And in a short period of time, I amassed like a quarter of a million followers I'm looking for more, but I amassed, and these people love it, because I do these these Michael Cohen react uh, you know, videos. But there's a group of obvious Trump supporters that are constantly... Reporting and claiming harassment uh, on my on my videos and TikTok acts rather quickly and then they suspend the video and that pisses me off. But they do it. I then appeal it saying it's factual because in my videos, I say, according to the New York Times, according to a CNN poll, according to an MSNBC poll, according to an ABC poll, according to so and so. I use facts to back it up. So it's not hateful. If I'm reporting facts, right? you may not like the fact. And so it comes back on. And then that just generates even more interest and more views and so on. So I'm in this never-ending fight. But that's the way it should be. If, in fact, that it is inaccurate if it's innuendo if it's lies mistruths misinformation disinformation malinformation it should be suspended so that somebody could look at it and that's not what Elon Musk is doing he actually has taken that part out of um Twitter which now potentially could make Twitter extremely dangerous especially you know as we're looking towards the um 2024 election but let me ask you this right now that we're in this lame duck session What do you feel, and this is a Bakari Sellers question, what do you feel is most important for Democrats to focus on? Because we have a short period now before the next term. That's a good question. What should we be doing to ensure that Biden's agenda for the next two years is not completely stalled by these maniacs? The
2: The debt ceiling. I mean, that's the number one thing. I mean, you you can't allow a new Congress to come in here where I was just, I was listening to your question and reading, you know, Kevin McCarthy already has four no votes, three present votes, and a possible other no vote. So what is that? That's eight people who likely won't vote for him to be speaker. He can't be speaker like that. Now, imagine if somehow by the grace of God, he ends up winning that that title of speaker He's going to be held hostage religiously by people like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Do you want them to be able to, you know, trash our credit rating, send our markets into shambles because they want something that's completely ridiculous, like I don't know, banning interracial marriage or something like that? Um, do you want that to be the the bargaining chip for our debt limit? No. So I say the debt limit is the number one thing. It's the most important thing. Store that away, get that done in the next 30 days, and I think we'll have a lot smoother ride coming, come January.
0: Okay, so then let me ask you a follow. Who else then comes to mind should McCarthy not be able to – Oh, Jim Jordan. Which is, even, which is even worse. It's the point I was going to get to. I was hoping you weren't going to use you know, Jimbo, you know, the pedophile Jordan. Um, Jim Jordan as speaker. How dangerous, how much more dangerous do you think Jim Jordan is than Kevin McCarthy?
2: The, Jim Jordan's way more dangerous than Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, I agree with that. Because uh, Jim, Jim Jordan is actually, he actually has a backbone and he stands for things um, that are the antithesis of what I believe, what you and I believe are right, and most Americans. But Jim Jordan actually is somebody who could get all of the base together. Um, and all of the moderates together to to coddle those votes to be speaker. And he would rule with the iron fist, something and like and people would be scared of Jim Jordan in the Republican caucus. Nobody's scared of McCarthy. He's just weak. He's just really, really weak. And so um, I, I firmly believe that if McCarthy falls through, Jim Jordan will be the next speaker. Now, be terrified, of t- people, be terrified, afraid be terrified. of Jim
0: Jordan. For what reason? For what reason? He's a half-in-the-bag moron. He's a jerk-off. The guy's got a history himself, which should have precluded him, as far as I'm concerned, of getting enough votes in order to have been elected in the first place. Is there nobody better to bring in on the Republican side than somebody with as much baggage and as stupid
2: as Jim Jordan is? No. No. <laughs> to answer your question, you know what? I, I do think there's one other dark horse out there. I just don't think he has the want to do it. And I have a great deal of respect for his resilience um, and his service. But Scalise is the only other person who uh, would possibly do it. But I I think Jim Jordan would be the, the logical. And I think he's laying in wait the knives are already out for mccarthy i think jim jordan's laying in wait because if jim jordan can get those five votes which they would vote for jim jordan this is over
0: man let me tell you something jim jordan ends up becoming speaker i guarantee you within 24 hours of him taking that spot articles of impeachment get filed no doubt in my mind you know he's he is such a Trump loyalist, and I'm not even sure where or why that has, that, that, that has become a reality. Um, I just don't understand what the connection is between Jim Jordan and Trump. Trump is no longer in power. His, his control and his, um, his grip over the GOP Seems to be waning every single day. So I'm not really sure I understand Jim Jordan's position. But then again, I never understood Jim Jordan's position. He's just a um, he's just going to be a, a maniac with now the highest title that you can get for Congress. I mean, it's really
2: scary. And security. He'll be in security. Right. And, and security. security. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well Let me. Yeah, then, no, but I mean, me, like, I think legitimately. I mean, if you, if you, I mean, I think you. I, I would assume you would agree with me if you logically look at the two hundred and some odd members of. The, I do agree with you. Um, yeah, that Jim Jordan is probably the only logical person out there because I'm not sure McCarthy's going over to give it over the hump.
0: Yeah, I don't think so either. But look, at least someone like Steve Scalise. You could speak to him. Jim Jordan, you can't speak to. Jim Jordan doesn't listen. Jim Jordan likes to preach. You know, he likes to tell you how it's going to be. He thinks he's back on the mats with the young boys telling them what to do. So, look, let me move on because I hate Jim Jordan with a passion. I was <laughs> I personally, yeah. So I was personally relieved to hear that the Biden administration has already set up a task force to deal with Trump's inevitable smear campaign against him. But what can we do about all of the bogus trials and indictments that the House is getting, you know, and gearing up in order to start bringing against folks like Hunter Biden, Nancy Pelosi, the FBI? I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And this is where I have the the disdain for Jim Jordan. But suffice it to say that they're going to go after their political enemies. And I promise you. Because I know what it feels like more than anybody else alive right now. You think that the public is interested in this sort of thing? Because it doesn't put money in their pockets or food in the tables. So is it still to please the MAGA base? Before
2: you you finish your question, it is the best thing to happen to Democrats for 2024. It is the worst overreach. And it's going to be god-awful TV for the next two years. We're going to they're going to be investigating Hunter Biden and Joe Biden till we're blue in the face. Kevin McCarthy is going to have to impeach Joe Biden. All of these things are going to be crazy lunacy when we literally have people starving, when we need to be coming together on certain things. We need to pass another infrastructure bill. Hell, they still don't have clean water in Jackson, Mississippi. We need to do something to shore up our Social Security. We need to do something about the border. But I thought all these things matter. Crime. You know, I thought all these things mattered, but the number one thing you're going to do is come back and investigate Hunter Biden. It's absolutely insane.
0: No, it's going to make for great television. Rest assured, I'm going to bet you another dollar now that they're going to see the ratings go up even higher as a direct result of it. They're going to put on, look, the one thing the GOP does and substantially better, and you and I agree with this, and I don't know how many times privately I probably said to you, why don't you take over the DNC? Right, because Jamie Harrison, yeah, no, and, and, as good and, and I as he is,
2: to, I'm mad you said that shit out loud. Okay, don't don't say that. Out loud. And I, but I say it to you privately, it's the worst I'll say job it. Out loud. I don't, I don't give it. a shit. Uh,
0: America needs <laughs> you, right? I can't be the only person sacrificing everything. Right at the end of the day, it's the problem with the DNC. We are horrible at messaging. The GOP is fantastic at messaging, especially lies that are spurious and that they are, you know, controversial. So if we don't get people in, you know, to these sort of positions where we can actually create positive messages, all that's going to basically run the television, the front pages of the newspapers, is going to be Hunter Biden's laptop. It's going to be on Nancy Pelosi. It's going to be Hunt. It's going to be Joe Biden in Afghanistan. It's going to be Joe Biden this, Joe Biden that. Kamala Harris will get probably impeached as well. They're going to say it's the first. I think it might be even the first time that a vice president uh, has articles of impeachment. They're going filed. to impeach
2: the. They're going to impeach the Secretary of Homeland Security. Everyone.
0: Um, It's going to be a gigantic shit show. And I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be better than reality television. I think it will replace reality television. Because somewhere along the line, that's what we're becoming. It's almost like reality country. So let me then move on since we're talking about reality nonsense. Because you know that I think that Trump's run for another term is total bullshit. It's never going to happen. But even Bill Barr, who, on par with Jim Jordan, I fucking despise, is now saying that it's time to move on from Trump. But what I'm getting from the right-wing pundits and politicians alike is that we should let Trump just fade off into the Florida sunset without consequences. Now, we talked about this before, but I want to go a little bit further in depth. You think that Jack Smith and the DOJ will ever actually prosecute Trump, right, um, for some of the things that we're talking about? And more importantly, when they do, because I'm with you on that one, what do you think will be the impact on our country?
2: That's a tough question. So let me, let me that that's actually a brilliant question, Michael. And it's also a very tough question because- One of the things that should not go into a prosecutor's determination of whether or not they indict somebody is the likelihood of a successful verdict or outcome. However, you and I both know that that is something that they take into account. Also, one of the other things that should not go into a prosecutor's judgment into whether or not they indict somebody is the political consequences thereof. However, you and I both know that in particular, in this case, that will be taken into account. So the first question is, will you be able to indict and find Donald Trump guilty? Tough, Uh, very, very tough. Two, what impact will that have on the country? I don't think it should fucking matter. What's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And if you set a standard whereby people are above the law, then It just erodes the fabric of our democracy. So I say all this to say that I think that Mr. Smith needs to indict him sooner than later. We have a bet on that. I think it's going to be before June. You think it's going to be before the end of January. The longer it takes after primary season starts, then the more difficult it will be because if there are 20 people running, by the way, Nikki Haley just said, uh, on the Twitter, Michael, this is breaking news. I don't know if you have a breaking news like musical dong or something that we can do, but mm-hmm. she says she's going to take the holiday to think about whether or not she's running for president of the United States. Which means she's running for president of the United States. So if you have twenty people running for president of the United States, Donald Trump is going to win the nomination. It's going to be very hard to indict somebody who wins that nomination, well, or who is a front runner for that nomination.
0: You know, I'm look one thing that everybody will acknowledge is that he has a specific base that does not care if he shoots and kills someone on fifth Avenue. They'll tell you that that was the greatest shot that they've ever seen. Anybody take, there's just something fundamentally wrong with these people and Trump owns them. Correct. They're the same idiots that are funding him to the hundreds of millions of dollars in his super PAC that he's now using in order to fix his old broken down, dilapidated plane. Right? This is, what he's, this is what he's doing. He's found a money source better than The Apprentice. Yes. So I'm not so sure that Nikki Haley or anybody, the more Republicans that are standing on that stage, I think to the contrary, it's a benefit to Donald. Because he will have that core base that will come out and support him. And the others now... Have to overcome that number, which may be difficult based upon the number of people
2: running. I, I think. Look, when you have people like Mike Pompeo, Mike Rogers, Nikki Haley, Asa Hutchinson, Nikki probably deserves better than to be lumped in with them. But all of those one Cheney what I'll call
0: said that she's going to run too.
2: She's Mike a one percenter. Mike mm-hmm. Pence is a three percenter. Okay, none of those individuals are credible. I think Nikki gets five eight percent. I think Tim Scott gets five, eight percent. But what we're doing is we're adding up to 50 percent. And Donald Trump controls another quarter of it. So all he needs to do, if Donald Trump only needs a third of the vote, you and I both can do that math. I mean, we're lawyers. We we know what a third is, right? So uh, we're speaking the same language here. And I think all of that ties into the fact that is it Jack Smith? Jack Smith has to move extremely fast.
0: Yep, and that's why I'm hoping I win that dollar from you. And I'm gonna collect it by the way. So, Bakari, Trump, you know, Trump may be waning as far as what I constantly say, but the cancer that has spread throughout the GOP is not letting up. In fact, using someone like if Ron DeSantis as an example, right, or using him as the example, my opinion is it's getting worse. Why, in your opinion, is the GOP clinging to this Trump era craziness? And who else other than DeSantis should we be watching to potentially, you know, run for the presidency in um, 2024? You know, that's what I'm more concerned about, because while we're trying to figure out who's going to be, you know, standing on the stage Who actually has the ability to go head-to-head against Trump? Because Trump doesn't play fair. He doesn't play nice, that's for sure. Put a microphone and a stage and a camera in front of him, and he becomes that nasty scumbag fifth grader that says things that you would never expect to come out of the mouth of a presidential candidate or a politician. Who else could... Who else other than, say, a Ron DeSantis? Could Nikki Haley, as the example, get down and dirty like that? Or is she going to try to play that nice politic game?
2: So there's a couple of things. If Nikki Haley is on the stage with any of these individuals we named, Nikki Haley will be the most talented person on that stage, for better or worse. I served with Mm -hmm. her. I know her. I wouldn't vote for her to save my life. But she's extremely talented. Ron DeSantis is Scott Walker. I hate people who think that Ron DeSantis is going to be the nominee because he will not. I mean, everybody remembers Scott Walker? You probably don't. Scott Walker, great I'm governor not. from the right. I think he was a terrible governor, but great governor in Wisconsin, even beat off a recall. Everybody said he's going to be president of the United States. He raised all that money. And then guess what? He didn't even make it to the first primary state, didn't make it to the first debate. That's how Ron DeSantis is going to be. He cannot stand up to Donald Trump. He just simply cannot. If anybody wants to know why I say that, go back and watch the debate with Charlie Chris. Oh, if you want to see something even more fabulous, watch the debate with Andrew Gillum. I mean, he just got destroyed and filleted. He's just not built for the light that is going to shine on him. With all that being said, I still think Donald Trump's going to be the nominee. And I think you're going to have a 78-year-old Donald Trump against an 82-year-old Joe Biden. And I think the country deserves better than that.
0: Oh, we definitely do, and I don't think that that's the way it's going to go, but I don't want to bet on that one because it's fucking scary to me. Now, Bakari, you and I have now known each other for quite a long time, and I consider you, and I hope that you consider me, we're friends, right?
2: Oh, I definitely consider you a friend.
0: Now, I'm Jewish, you're black, are Kyrie Irving and Kanye West isolated instances before what you know the media is trying to put as some sort of a um uh, some sort of like a, uh, a situation between the you know our two groups I mean I is think- there really is there really a thing here between blacks and Jews that need to be addressed and let me just go one step further like Dave Chappelle Right, He's taken a whole lot of heat for commenting on this issue on Saturday Night Live. What do you think is really happening here?
2: So this is, a, I, I think, a few things. I'm glad you asked me the question. Um, I don't think the divide between our two communities is as large as people make it out to be. Me too. However, however, I think that the cancer that is Kyrie Irving, excuse me, the cancer that is Kanye West and the ignorance that is Kyrie Irving are dangerous. And you have to call it out. And it's like a cancer that if you don't call it out, if you don't stamp it out, if you don't try to educate people, then um, it becomes pervasive and it spreads. We're not at the point where it's metastasizing yet, but I don't want it to. My father, as you probably know, um, was a part of the search mission for Goodman, Scherner and Cheney in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Um, And so I am very keen and cognizant of the fact that the many other successes we had in the civil rights movement were due to um, the shared struggle and sacrifices of Jews and Blacks, particularly throughout the South. I get that, I understand it. Um, But I think we all have to do a better job of listening to one another, educating one another on our struggles. And I think listening to one another is probably the key. So I don't think we're nearly as farly divided as people make us out to be. I just think that when those things of um, Because, look, yeah, you in Charlottesville in January 6th, you have people wearing swastikas. Jews shall not replace us and Confederate flags. So anti-Semitism and anti-Black racism are right there with each other. Um, we see the hate every single day. We see synagogues be shot up. We see people killed in a church because they're Black. And I don't think it's worth our time or energy to be divisive point fingers, but I think we have to stand up together against that type of bigotry and hate.
0: Yeah, look, I've always said that I think that the crux of the um, black Jewish um, relationship is largely ideological, right? I mean, we both have bonded as groups based upon our minority status, right? Uh, You know, we've been, truthfully, and I'm with you on it, I don't think that it is as um, divided as some people may want to make it, there are always going to be those that want you know to keep groups divided because for some reason, maybe they think that financially it benefits them it 's part of their scam or what have you i don 't know, but all I know is listening to Kanye, right, listening to Kyrie Irving i 'm saddened by it. Because, look, as you know, I had a relationship with Kanye. I was there when he actually changed his name, T.A. And I've never heard him say an anti-Semitic thing to me. I've never heard him talk negatively about Jewish people. In fact, what he used to say is that he admires them because they stay together, they help each other, and he would like to see that happen more in the black communities. And I think that's probably true. Um, you know, as a people, uh, we tend to work amongst ourselves and we try to lift each other up and it would be great for all communities to do that with one another but what would be even better is if all communities did that with all communities and we all just lift each other up I mean that would be the ideal situation um as to why Kyrie Irving decided to take this as to why Ye then decided to go on this sort of you, insane rant, and of course,
2: everybody's I mean, talking all, first about. First, of all, first his, of all, let me speak to my Jewish brother, Michael. Black folk have disowned Kanye West for a long period of time. Yes, <laughs> we, got, we kicked him out a long time ago, and it's and it's sad. I mean, it's it's so sad because you begin to feel bad for his children. Um, after the death of his mother, he just—you saw him just publicly. Fall apart and he still is. Um but his anti Semitism is dangerous. And I why do people keep putting a fucking microphone in front of his face? Like if Kanye West came to me and said Bukhari, I
0: want to Ratings, dude.
2: Yeah, but I mean like
0: Bukhari ratings. Like, would you... It's all about the me personally, I wouldn't give him a microphone Yeah, I was like, no. I
2: mean, but I mean I I don't need it either. But I if Kanye was like, Let me come on the Bukhari Sellers Podcast, I'd be like, Go jump in a lake.
0: Well, you would be one of the few people because you know, like if he was on this, if he was on this show, I would say, "Listen, we've sat down, we've had at least a thousand phone call conversations, text messages. I've never heard him say." And anti- in fact, he used to say to me that he's Jewish, but he didn't say it in the in, in the right way. He'd say, "I'm I'm Jew." So I would say to him, "It's the way you're even expressing yourself has an undertone of anti-Semitism, yeah. right? First of all." He believes that he's like part of the lost tribe. And so if that's true, then there's more to being Jewish than just saying you are. First of all, you run a church and you run services. Jews don't go to church, we go to synagogue. On top of that, you know, we have circumcisions by moils, We have bar mitzvahs. There's a certain, you know, um, there are holidays that you're supposed to um, understand and attend and there's a religious belief. It's not, It's. not. It's not just... Really, only being born to it, but there's a there's a way, and I said you don't exhibit any of those. So he says, well, that's because you know I didn't grow up that way, and it was a relatively decent answer, but it never, of course, got to the crux on why he believes that he's Jewish and and so on. Um, but it is kind of funny that right we saw Trump had dinner the other night at Mara Lardo, and it's almost. I wish I could think of a great joke, right? So you have a wannabe, self-hating Jew, and we'll call it Kanye, right? Well, yay, because he thinks he's Jewish, so he can't be anti-Semitic. You have this self-hating, wannabe Jew sitting with a white supremacist, neo-Nazi, Holocaust survivor. They bring in a third asshole, this Yanopoulos, this Milo Yiannopoulos, who I don't even think is American; I think he's British. Um, you know, used to work for Breitbart, fired probably by them, right? Because um, he's even too far right for Breitbart. This anti-feminist, Islamophobe, you know, hater of everybody. And then, of course, you have the king at the t- at the head of the table, a man who I continuously describe as a racist, sexist. Misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semite, Donald, all sitting together. I mean, this is almost like a joke for a David Chappelle, right? Type of um comedian, right? How is it that they then could he could sit there and claim that He didn't know who these people are. You know, he's trying to sit and and lie again to the American people, who, thankfully, most are not buying any of this bullshit, right? This this is the problem, because somebody like Trump, who you think is going to be the Republican nominee, has now given a platform to these three disgraceful fucking people.
2: But this is going to be the conversation that we're going to have for... Months because Donald Trump's an idiot and Donald Trump plays in racism and anti-Semitism. He always has. That's always who he's going to be. And the fact that he acts like he doesn't know who Nick Fuentes is and Milo, Yilanopoulos, whatever. I mean, those are despicable, disgusting human beings. That is what they are. Um, And the fact that Kanye West is convorting with them, I I just, uh, again, his Donda would be completely outraged by the behavior of her son. And... It, it just is what it is. But the Republican Party is going to have to deal with this for another, we, we talked about 365 earlier, that was the number, but what is it, 730 days uh, or the next two years with Donald Trump running for president.
0: All right, so listen, my friend. All right, one last question. And it's a personal one, and it's one that I constantly, again, talk to you about offline uh, and so on. Because I know that you're a practicing lawyer, you're an activist and a commentator, right? You're also a married man with small children. So clearly, you've been busy. You ever consider about getting back into politics? Yeah, I
2: mean the 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 fact is, I'm doing really well practicing law right now. I enjoy it. I enjoy being on CNN. Um, that's and I have little children, so that's on one shoulder. On the other shoulder, you know, good. We need more good people in politics. Um, that shoulder's winning. I mean, if there was an election for the sixth congressional seat today, I would probably run for it. Um, you know, I, I am leaning more and more heavily towards running for Congress when Jim Claiborne decides to step down. I'm not there yet, but I'm leaning more and more heavily towards it.
0: Well, you know that you have me, you have my supporters behind you 100%. You know, I said it the very first time that we met Um more than a decade ago, you're a good man. Um, things that you're doing are fantastic. You know, your activism, your comments, it's, you bring really fresh air um, to what I think is desperately needed in Washington. And obviously, not only do I implore you to decide to make that move eventually and hopefully soon while we still have a country to protect but um, maybe contemplate even on uh, that DNC exactly. spot, you know, in the in the interim, because again, um, the country's worth it. Democracy's worth it. We have to leave to our children the country better, certainly than um, what it looks like we're going to be right, leaving well, them. I love you. So I love your family. My friend
2: Bakari. I love you. I love your family, and I want to. Uh smoke a cigar, eat a steak with you in, in New York in one of those spots that y'all go to. I, I want to be a part of the vibe soon.
0: Listen, I can't wait to see you again. So let me know when you're back in town. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for again, enlightening my enlightening me, my listeners and doing the things that you do. Appreciate you're doing. you
2: brother. Be safe. Thank you.
0: Love to everybody. You got it. And now for today's maya Culpa. I know I shouldn't jinx anything, but at the moment, I'm feeling cautiously optimistic. The wheels seem to be coming off the Trump clown car, and like I've said so many times, it ain't over till it's over. But as of this moment, Trump is looking pretty fucking done. Like, put a fucking fork in him. He's done. I probably don't have to tell you that there are literally hundreds of different ways that he might go down legally, professionally, personally. But this fake bid for the presidency is like a last meal before his execution. He may not know it, but I do. His presidential run has got no juice. He hasn't even filed paperwork. He hasn't gotten a campaign manager, a finance chair. So when I say he isn't running, I mean technically, he's just not running. And for many, Trump's demise just means a return of normalcy or something like it. Though we will never be the same again as a nation, and that might be a good thing. I mean, for God's sakes, we needed to open our fucking eyes. We may be woke, but until the shit hit the fan, how many of us really understood what was fomenting on the right. And why so many Americans feel left out, or left behind, or just not part of the mainstream system at all. These people were ripe for the fucking MAGA cult. Inclusion feels good no matter at what cost. They found their people. But what happens to those people now? Our fellow Americans are going to find themselves left out in the cold once again, unless, and it's a big unless, unless we find a way to include them. Democrats may not be as entertaining as the far-right freak-fucking-show, but we do have something concrete to offer. I mean, we can fucking listen and try not to judge them. I mean, the Latin term, Vox Popu, Il Vox Dei, means the voice of the people is the voice of God, and they are our people. And as insane as that sounds, they are us and we are them. They are working families and concerned citizens. They love America too, and when it gets right down to it, they want what we want. Okay, we don't want the hateful rhetoric or homophobia, racism, bigotry, and all that shit, but we do want our children to be safe and educated so that they can work and buy stuff and live the American dream. What we can offer our right-wing brothers and sisters is a place in our politics to be heard. The checks and balances of our two-party system is really what makes America great. Democracy is what makes America great, and it's a rare and beautiful thing. Only 20% of the world's population lives in a free country. I mean, seriously, 20%. The other major superpowers, Russia and China, not so free. We feared authoritarianism because it's just so damn prevalent and apparently easier to maintain than a democracy. And now that we have snatched ourselves back from the jaws of authoritarianism, we can't forget how easily that it could be lost and how quickly we fall apart and turn on each other when a leader like Trump slithers into office and divides us. I say never again. We have too much to do. If we want to save the planet, we better start at home. Now, I'm not suggesting that we can change anyone's mind, least of all super hate-fueled MAGA fucking asshats, but we can choose not to hate them in return. We are stronger together. Forget that it's a slogan and listen to me. We are stronger together. Our diversity is what makes us amazing. Now, I'm not suggesting that you run out and go kiss a Republican, but maybe just shake hands, call it a draw, and keep it moving. We all get to write America's next chapter, not just them. Not them because they claim to have the louder voice. We do. And if the voice of the people is God, that should be our religion. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Minus Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Mayor Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.